Welcome to In Broad Daylight. Your host, Adam Todd Brown. On this episode, some thoughts on crying wolf. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In Broad Daylight. I'm Adam Todd Brown. And this is a show I do all by my goddamn self. I call it In Broad Daylight because it's a show that I put up in the middle of the day. Pretty clever, right? Anyway, let's get to it. So, a former coworker of mine posted an article on Facebook and said he would love to see someone post a rebuttal to it. To which I say, consider it done. That article is on a blog called Slate Star Codex, and the headline is, You Are Still Crying Wolf. It's all about how calling Trump a racist is a bad idea because, at the end of the day, he's not racist at all. The writer then goes on to use all sorts of quotes from Trump's campaign speeches and website to prove his point. And on the one hand, I appreciate that this article sort of backs up something I've been saying for as long as people would listen, which is that Trump is absolutely going to make a concerted effort to endear himself to black voters, especially those in areas that have been hit the hardest by crime and unemployment, Baltimore, Chicago, St. Louis, etc. It's the one thing people still refuse to believe when I mention it, But it's not something I'm making up. I've said it a million times, and nothing I've seen so far has given me reason to back down from it. Now, uh, his immigration plan is a jobs plan for inner-city residents. That's not my imagination running wild. He mentions it all throughout the wording of the immigration plan he posted on his site back when he announced he was running for president. I put lots of screenshots in my cracked article about why comparing him to Hitler is A-OK. Go Google it if you want. He even said it directly at one point when he mentioned that he'll cancel the J-1 visa program and replace it with a pool of applicants from inner city areas that employers can hire from. It doesn't get much plainer than that, you know? And that same immigration plan includes a refugee program for inner-city kids. Uh, We all know what refugee means, I'm assuming. Uh, If not, it means you're fleeing an unsafe situation to seek refuge in a safer location. Again, he words it very plainly. I, I can't stress it enough, kicking out one group of people and essentially replacing them with another group of people is absolutely his plan. And the blog post that inspired this episode is the beginning of something else I've been saying for a long time. At some point, he's going to push really hard to make his plan seem like the opposite of racism. That process starts with articles like this, where people say, well, how can he be racist if he's so dedicated to helping the black community? And you know what? That's fine. Maybe calling him an outright racist is oversimplifying what he's up to. That's kind of the premise of the article. He's never come right out and said he's a racist, so how do we know he's really a racist? Again, fine. 
even if you aren't comfortable labeling Trump a racist, there is no denying that he exploited racial tensions to get votes, and I'm pretty positive he's planning to exploit them way more now that he's in office. I mean, that was perfectly evident with the when he proposed the Muslim ban and all of this talk now about a Muslim registry and dropping all these hints about internment camps and shit. You can blame that on the threat of terrorist attacks happening in this country all you want. But you and I both know goddamn good and well that terrorism isn't even sort of commonplace enough here to warrant drastic steps like that. Yes, there were some high-profile mass shootings recently where the perpetrators pledged allegiance to ISIS. But for one thing, those incidents are few and far between and no more or less common than mass shootings carried out by American citizens with no ties to Islam at all. But nevertheless, for a lot of people in this country post 9-11, Muslims in general are just seen as the enemy, and Trump is the one leader who's finally willing to do something about them. Even if he hasn't earned the outright designation of racist, He's definitely using racism as a tool, and that's just as bad. And as for Mexican immigrants, by selling mass deportations as something meant to positively impact black communities, he's still playing into racial tensions. It's just that it's a form of racial tension that almost never gets discussed in this country. Bear with me here. I'm going to make you listen to a few news reports. Here goes the first one. This is from a local L.A. News segment in 2013. L.A. County Sheriff's deputies are investigating two hate crimes in Compton. In one case, authorities say gang members repeatedly terrorized an African-American family. New at 6, NBC4's Michelle Valles live in Compton. Michelle, what are residents telling you tonight about what happened? Well, they simply say the demographics here are changing. For instance, this is an African-American Baptist church behind me that is now in the middle of what is now a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And they say recently a Mexican street gang tagged that church. And deputies say it's more hate crimes that's happening between those two groups. It's like you might as well just put a hood on your head and ride around and just say, you know, we don't like black people. I mean, it'd be better like that. La Francis says the racial street war continues in Compton, differing from block to block. Sharon Smith says her black neighbor couldn't even walk home one time. He was trying to come home after work, but he was chased home by Mexican-Americans. Then there was New Year's Eve, 153rd Street. Deputies say Mexican gang members threatened a black man walking home, beat him up. 30 minutes later, up to 20 Mexican gang members surrounded his home, threw a beer bottle through the window, shouted the N-word, and told them they couldn't live there because of their race. These two armed gang members were arrested for the reported hate crime. It's strictly from gangs, exactly, and um, we're doing our best. It's not a gang thing. It's a black, I mean, it's a power thing. And nothing new, LaFrancis says, who claims he was jumped by 10 Latinos in 10th grade. But what is changing are the demographics and the crackdown on hate crimes in the area. But what's really needed, according to him... There's no African-American leaders trying to bring the two together. So, did you get all that? That was just one news report about uh, racial tensions between 
black people and Mexican people in high crime areas. It's far from the only one, in case you were hoping that was an isolated incident. Here's one from CNN. The only reason 14-year-old Cheryl Green was shot and killed last month, police believe, was because she was black. These two suspects in custody are Latino and are facing hate crime charges. Cheryl Green is just the latest victim in an ongoing racial battle between some African Americans and Hispanics in Southern California. We need to do something about this. The tension between races isn't new. Over the past several years, it's shown up in gang violence, prison brawls, and high school fights. The root of the problem is much deeper, though, and involves a change in historically black neighborhoods, areas like South Central, Watts, and Compton, where Hispanics are now the majority. Are they talking about this on Latino radio? On KJLH, a Los Angeles African-American radio station, the tension between Latinos and blacks is a regular topic. I don't think it's about some kind of endemic hatred of one another. I think it's about who happens to be at the bottom right now and who is competing for those very increasingly scarce resources. The African community is angry because what we have has been taken and the job opportunities are no longer there. Cedric Blackman owns a property management company. He says he spent his entire life in Watts. It used to be like, oh, the Greens used to own that house, or the, the Walkers used to own that house, and now the Martinez is on that house. Blackman says the change happened so fast, many African Americans didn't see it coming. Some of the Mexican people here, we've grown up together and we've got along fine, but they never said, hey, they're coming in big numbers and this thing's going to be all Hispanic in a minute. No one ever said anything. Before you know it, there was the Martinez brothers, the Ramirez shop, the tire. I mean, all this used to be all black. Now it's all Hispanic. There's anger in the uh, in the black community. So does that sound familiar? It probably sounds like the kind of thing you picture a Trump supporter saying about Mexicans, right? I promise you. The reason Trump is so confident that he'll get 95% of the black vote in four years, which is a thing he said, which is another thing this article uses uh, to point out that he's not racist. Um, the reason he says that is because, for one thing, his campaign proved that if you can address uh, racial tensions in people, you can get votes. It's a successful strategy. And now that strategy is going to shift to exploiting racial tensions within a completely different demographic. And to bring the, the videos, we only have two more, I promise. I'm sorry. To bring these back around to immigration, here is a Los Angeles resident named Terry Anderson speaking in front of a House Judiciary Subcommittee on Illegal Immigration. This aired on C-SPAN. The elected officials refused to address the problem. Uh, the black elected officials refused to address the problem. My own congressman refuses to address the problem. And I think the problem is black folks see all minorities as allies. And this is not the case. These people are not here for our common good. They're here for their own good. Where I don't 
have any ill will towards anybody. I also want to look out for my race. I'm a black American. I've never used a hyphen. But I will refuse to turn my back on my race and see what's going on in South Central to my people and let these people come in here and just take over. I'm not going to sit back and watch it. And I think it's a terrible thing, a, a horrendous thing, for anybody to see this going on and say, well, he's a minority like me, so I won't speak up. I don't care where he comes from. The, the key to this whole thing is stop the denial, stop the, the alliances of, in other words, he's a minority like me, so I can't speak up against him. If this was white folks, committing these lynchings to us in South Central, what's going on, there would be an outrage in this country. We have had firebombs thrown through windows. We have had people's cars burn in the driveway because they happened to move into the wrong communities. We had a lady who moved to East L.A., came to, to the state from the South, not knowing what East L.A. was. It was an all-Hispanic community. She wasn't there one day. We had another man who was burned out of his house in Torrance last year. We had five murders in Hawaiian Gardens just because the people were black. This would not be tolerated if this was white on black crime. But the fact that these people come here, and it's the numbers, sir, it's the numbers. They come here in the numbers, they build up the Hispanic community, and they get this, this sense of power against us. And there, there are race riots in the schools every day in Los Angeles. It never makes the media. The black kids are being run out of the schools every day and told to go back to Africa. It never makes the media. Pretty fucking intense, right? Like I said, what he's proposing might not be racist, but he's definitely appealing to a racial divide that has been simmering in this country for a long, long, long time. Let's listen to one more video before we wrap it up. This is from a 2008 news report on Al Jazeera US. And this is an Al Jazeera reporter speaking to a Latino community leader and a black community leader in Watts. Here goes. I want to talk about how this plays out on the neighborhood level. I read an incendiary quote in a piece that you wrote where an African-American, well, not your, it wasn't your quote, actually, but you quoted someone, an African-American community member, saying there's ethnic cleansing taking place, that Latino gangs ethnic are driving us out cleansing. of our neighborhood. That is being said, and we hear it more and more. So why do people say stuff like that? Because, well, because it, they believe it. Because they believe it. And, and it, I have to tell you, it's caught on. I hear it all the time. Even if it's a small percentage, a small number, and it is a small number, where you have blacks being killed by Latinos, or the other way around. When violence happens, and if it's Latino on black, we're the Latino leaders. Right. Why don't they step up? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there's a, a lack of a coordinated response in the Latino community and amongst Latino activists to stand in solidarity with African Americans and other communities that are suffering uh, in similar or different ways as the Latino community. One of the conversations we need to have in L.A., at least among Latino leaders, as you talked about, is the South L.A. Latino population is an invisible one. To say wow, that sound quality so just got a lot better. you don't have institutions, some of the key institutions, working with the Latino community in South Los Angeles. Pick better locations, Al Jazeera. La Latinos in South Los Angeles with the vantage point that we need to build bridges and coalitions with African Americans. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon, if we don't get in front of that, you're going to have a different kind of institution coming in, organizing Latinos, which is going to be uh, towards reaping the benefits of becoming the new majority, so to speak. I want to talk about how communities are pitted against each other. Who benefits? Well, this is not rocket scientist stuff. The people that are pitted against each other don't benefit, but employers, policymakers who can duck and dodge, get off the hook, 
business leaders who don't have to expand jobs, create more opportunities, uh, and also uh, corporations, essentially, that are leaving and creating these problems. The heat is off of them. The pressure is off of them. It's just this black guy over here or this Latino is just taking the job. Go blame them. If you were to look at uh, that part East down. Los Angeles, which is a part of Los Angeles, and listen to this, 99% Latino, you have a very similar dynamic taking place where second, third generation Latinos or what some folks call Chicanos are struggling to compete for jobs and are also blaming immigrants for their lack of, uh, you know, for their jobs being taken subtext away. Subtext underneath. Absolutely, you know, and so it's well, interesting because even in this context of a black-brown divide, there's some black-brown unity around uh, immigrants and, and whether or not they're taking their jobs. Did you catch that last part? He basically said, yes, there is a black-brown divide, but at least we can all agree illegal immigrants are the problem. So that stuff I've been saying about how at some point Trump's immigration plan will start to seem a whole lot less racist, that's why. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's uh, sort of starting to creep into your thinking right now if you're listening to this. He's going to sell it in a way that makes it seem like the law and order thing to do in the name of helping people in areas that have been the most negatively impacted by illegal immigration from Mexico. He'll start with just those who've committed crimes, just to make sure it's not a thing that people are willing to overthrow the government over. Then he'll move on to just anyone who's in the country illegally from Mexico. It actually seems a lot less terrible when you look at it from that perspective, and if you don't think about it too hard. Uh, someone obviously should absolutely address the insane levels of crime and poverty and unemployment in the black community. But what Trump is doing, while it may not be outright racist, is he's picking one side in a racial dispute that's not only been brewing for decades, but that the policies of the United States government kind of caused. Uh, Trump's right that NAFTA is a pretty terrible agreement that did a lot of damage to a lot of people. But what he refuses to acknowledge is that it's also what led to the huge increase in migration from Mexico that started in the mid-90s. NAFTA fucked Mexico. Those people came here because a trade agreement we brokered caused a lot of people in Mexico to lose their jobs, the poorest people in Mexico, to lose their jobs. And now we're scapegoating those people as enemies of America and promising that things will get better once they're all gone. It's absolutely fucking inhumane, and it will destroy a lot of lives. This is a big, rich country. There could be enough opportunity and room for everyone if we invested our money in the right things. Instead, we're just going to take the easy way out. So, I guess the final point of that article that brought me here today was that Trump is bad, but calling him racist is the wrong thing to do. Like, as long as we don't end up with internment camps and mass deportations that will feel like we dodged a bullet because he just turned out to be a mediocre president who only dismantled environmental regulations and sent the debt skyrocketing. And you know what? Yeah, exactly that. Fucking exactly that. Environmental regulations can be put back in place. We can take measures to get the debt back under control. All of that is typical president shit that another administration can undo. But once you start mass deportations, lives get ruined, 
Families get broken. People fucking die. Those are bells you cannot unring. The next administration can't bring those people back to life. If Trump is just a terrible president who doesn't oversee the eventual deaths of millions of people, I will consider his administration a roaring fucking success. Call me crazy. Anyway, there will be another episode of In Broad Daylight on Wednesday where I will uh, give you a guide to understanding your relatives uh, at the at the dinner table over the holidays. And uh, then we are off for the rest of the week because uh, that's what we do in this country. We take vacations. Don't forget to buy tickets for our upcoming Pacific Northwest shows. Uh, a tour called Warhorse is rolling into Seattle on December 11th. Tickets for those are available at ticketweb.com. And Portland on December 14th. Those tickets are on eventbrite.com. And we should be announcing more dates really, really soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. We love you.